world-famous Abbey Road Studios. Everyone knows the stories of the bands you've recorded there, but who are the people behind the scenes that make the studio tick? I'm Paul Saxton. Join me on this exclusive series with Virgin Atlantic, where we chat to the heroes who bring a family spirit to number three, Abbey Road. Hello, I'm Isabel Garvey. I am the Managing Director of Abbey Road Studios. Great to see you, Isabel. Thank you for finding the time for us. Really good to be here. Tell us exactly where we are. Just set the scene about this studio and how it fits into the whole Abbey Road setup. So we're now in one of our newer studios. Um, it's called The Gatehouse, which was opened o- over five years ago, actually. And it was part of our kind of transformation plan, which had many tentacles. But one of them was to make sure we had spaces for how everybody makes music today. So our heritage spaces in the main building are really big um, studios. And so it was important that we had some smaller spaces so that um, every creator, no matter what they're doing, had the right kind of space for their work. Yeah. And um, I mean, I was saying that I, I've been coming here for a, a very long time, but it never even occurred to me that there was anything round the back here. Before. So <laughs> yeah. what, was, what, what is now the gatehouse? What, what was that before? We think it may have been either the stables or a coal shed. Something very, <laughs> not so glamorous, um, but it was always an outbuilding to, to the main house. Right. Yeah. And then was it like a writing room for a while before? Yes. It was so studio? when I'm here six years now and when I first arrived here yeah it was a writing room down here that hadn't been terribly well looked after actually it was pretty dark dingy writing room but quite loved by people who came in so we've kind of transformed it into something more more um more modern and you know akin to recording studio it's lovely and uh, I was just hearing that Noel Gallagher asked for the plans for the room because he wanted to build his base his own studio at home on it. That's right, he absolutely loves it in here. We, we, we see him a lot in here. Yeah, you get used to seeing very famous people in, in a place like this, don't you? Yeah, you do. I mean, I think that my first year, it still takes you by surprise as to who's wandering the corridors or you do that thing where you grin and say hello because you're like, I, I definitely know that person. <laughs> you realise, oh gosh, it's actually Noel Gallagher or because everyone knows Paul that McCartney. Person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, you get you get very, you never get immune to it, but you get used to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we should talk about this whole you know uh, transformation that's happened you know on on your watch during mm-hmm. the time that you've been here because things have changed a great deal at Abbey Road, haven't yeah. they? They have, they have. Um, they have and they haven't, I guess. I think one thing, I, I, again, as I said, I'm here six years and my I had a really lovely remit, which is here's an amazing studio that is world famous and, and with it an amazing brand. And what can we do to make sure it's as amazing and that we turn 90 this year, the next 90 years? Um, but also where could we have, you know, tentacles into other parts of the, the music business? Um, so one of the first things we did was build this space that we're in we're in today because, you know, at its core, Abbey Road is one of the best recording studios in the world. And it was important that we had the right spaces for modern recording and really invested in the base business and the beating heart of Abbey Road. Um, so that, that, that was the first thing off the bat. And then we started to look beyond the building with that kind of, with the core looked after and invested in. What else could we we do in the music environment? And so we've done a number of things. Um, one one was kind of, to be fair, was in the filing cabinet of every MD before me when I when I uh, started here, which was to build a retail store because we reckon we have three to four hundred thousand people come to a pedestrian crossing every year if we ignore the last two years of COVID. Yeah. But you know, in in the normal times. We, there are people who just pilgrim to this building and all they can do is look from the outside. Mm. Um, so we built a store that kind of tries to 
really showcase what happens inside the building and give you know the tourists their their stamp of having been at Abbey Road mm. um so that was kind of the no-brainer and everybody else before me had thought of that um but then we started to look slightly further afield um and you know as I learned about this business I'd never worked in studios before as I learned about this business the the way our engineers develop in here in terms you know there's a running joke that it takes longer to become an engineer at Abbey Road or a senior engineer at Abbey Road than it does to become a doctor it's generally about an eight-year career path but within that there's this really lovely culture of mentorship and making sure that every engineer is exposed to different types of music and really kind of hones their craft and so we thought is there a way that we can take that outside the building and that was the kind of the genesis then of what is the Abbey Road Institute which is our education arm which offers a diploma in um, recording um, engineering and production um, and that has been going for four years now and again and is franchised in multiple countries around the world and has really connected because you know you Abbey Road plus engineering and production is just a very obvious link um, and what we're really proud of is that the graduates of these courses are going into music related jobs. Um, and so it's really kind of fueling that next generation into engineering and production. Um, so that was education. Then we, we kind of looked at innovation because, you know, Abbey Road Studios in itself was an innovation to build a vast space like this in 1931 was, you know, an, inc an incredible piece of foresight, I guess, as to how the, the music industry was going to change and how recording was going to change. Um, and then all through the, the decades, and particularly when EMI was very vertically integrated, when, you know, they owned the studio, they also built all the hardware, they um, owned the HMV and the, the, the actual kind of recording output and had record labels. The innovation was incredible. You know, an engineer in a studio would say, oh, gosh, I wish I had a, you know, a tape machine that did X, Y, Z. And then, you know, engineers like Ken Townsend just come up with artificial double tracking. And, you know, um, the red desks were invented to do what, you know, um, the engineers in the studio wanted to do. And there's this kind of culture of just breaking the rules and trying to push boundaries and make new sounds, which push the technology of recording on and further and further. And when I arrived, that, that culture is still alive and well in the studio today. All of our engineers are trying to get the best for the artist and break rules and find new sounds and new ways of doing things. But the world had changed, right? How do you interact with technology that we're no, we're no longer in a, a place where corporates invent everything themselves? So we actually spent a year looking at out, outside, kind of saying, well, where is music tech? What's happening and my background in music is relatively digital. And so I had gone through a phase of seeing a lot of me too type digital businesses. Um, but we were really pleasantly surprised. We took 12 months, did a big scan of particularly uh, UK and European uh, music tech startups. And, you know, by by chance or rather than by design, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence was just getting mainstream enough to really start shifting um, business models, shifting ideas and kind of opening up um, a new way of thinking about how music, what music tech looks like. It's not just the next streaming service. There was kind of way more opportunity. And so we decided to set up a music tech incubator called Abbey Road Red. The idea being that actually grassroots music tech um, didn't really have a sponsor in Europe at all. Um, and so we thought that was actually something with our brand platform that we could really help with 
and we we picked kind of four to six businesses a year that could come into this incubator and the program's completely bespoke and we help them kind of achieve their their growth strategies um, and then send them on their way. You know, it helps that our parent company is Universal Music, the biggest record label in the world. So really we can catapult businesses quite quickly. And it's just, it's been an incredible journey. Um, A, because we've met, you know, brilliant businesses and brilliant business people, but also it's kind of really helped with the, you know, harness, I guess, the innovative spirit within the building. And it gives us toys to put in studios for artists to play with, right? You know, we have one of the businesses we worked with is called Voclia that had a microphone that you can I think his strap line is your voice is the first instrument you can play. So you kind of make a trumpet noise into it and it has then an output of a MIDI kind of trumpet file. So you can kind of riff ideas quite quickly. And we put that in the studio and artists love it. And so it's become kind of playful interaction, I guess, with technology as well as a business interaction. It's such an amazing thing to think that, of course, if you go back a few decades, this building wasn't even called Abbey Road Studios. It was originally Mm. EMI Studios, Mm. wasn't it? That's right. I think it was in the early 70s it was changed to Abbey Road Studios, obviously on the back of the uh, aforementioned Beatles album. Um, But, you know, a really smart thing to do at the time. Um, And it's one of the very many smart things Ken Townsend did in his kind of reign as managing director here. The other one was actually later in the 70s to recognise that um, Studio One, which is our biggest studio, it was designed for kind of classical music recording and to hold big orchestras. Um, And in the 70s, the classical, the the, the traditional classical recording market started to go into severe decline. And there's there's great stories about Pink Floyd fixing cars in in Studio One and um, people playing badminton. And kind of there was this moment of, gosh, what are we going to do with this space? And Ken kind of had the foresight to see that actually film scoring was kind of the, the, the modern version of, of classical music and so did a deal with Anvil Films um, to bring that scoring into the building. And w- I think one of the first scores we did was Raiders of the Lost Ark and we just haven't looked back since. Yeah, because there was a point where studios were closing left, right and centre, weren't mm-hmm. they, in, mm-hmm. in the UK and I'm sure around the world as well. Yeah, yeah, we've probably lived that a few times over, actually, um, because, you know, it's, uh, I always joke, it is hard to make money out of, uh, out of uh, running a studio. Um, and where we're very fortunate is just that we have this incredible heritage that we build on week on week, month on month. Um, but, you know, we were put on the map by, you know, some of the biggest forefathers of modern pop. And, you know, that that puts us in a very privileged position where artists just want to come here. There's this kind of emotional, creative connection to this space. So we are we are fortunate in that respect. What was the first wow moment that you had? Can you remember? Um, yeah, actually, my first wow moment, I think it happened within my first few weeks as I was walking down the corridor and Paul McCartney walked past me. Right, <laughs> I right. think, oh, right, just an average day at Abbey Road. Um, yeah, and then, you know, from then we've I've walked past numerous famous faces. But uh, yeah, that was definitely a, gosh, I'm really here. There probably isn't any such thing as a typical day here, is there? I mean, is it something new <laughs> happening each every day? Yeah, the, there is no typical day. I think, you know, even from a recording perspective we've different artists in every day 
our our engineers are trying to do something different with those artists every day. So there's nothing typical. And for, for me personally, I mean, because we now have kind of multiple different businesses within this kind of under the umbrella, I guess, of the studios. I mean, I can jump from having a meeting about what T-shirt we should launch next year to, you know, how do we how do we um, make sure that we build, for example, like production spaces so that we can create a creative community that feeds the studios, I don't know, through to boring finance meetings. So, you know, I, you just have the whole gambit. But the 90th must have been, you know, a big part of your uh, your planning in, in recent months and probably years, actually, in terms of what you're going to do about it and what, you know, merchandise, I'm sure, and those aspects as well. Yeah, I think I mean it's the the marketing team here have done an amazing job in in planning for the 90th and we knew we wanted to put a marker in the sand. I think it's been particularly poignant because of the last weird 18 24 months we've all had. Um so we really want to kind of mark the 90th in in a I don't know, in a kind of a jubilant way and, you know, recording is back and hopefully we're all going back to normal. Um, but th- I think the way the team have planned the day is, is or actually we're doing a week of 90th celebrations, is really lovely because we we have a really perfect blend of looking back and um, really talking about the heritage and helping give more colour to what happened, what happened and is happening in the in the building, and then some very future facing pieces where, you know, we've built I think a two day workshop around our equal uh, equalised brand, which is about showcasing people who wouldn't usually be be showcased in the music industry, and we're bringing in a, a kind of a youth audience to basically be mentored by you know the people have, that have trodden the path before them, so that it feels very future facing of like what is the next 90 years and that Abbey Road is going to move with how music's been created. Because there's probably an impression that, you know, you have to have a great deal of money to be able to have even a chance of getting through the doors here to to record here, I mean. Mm -hmm. But you've made it so much more um, accessible, I think, haven't you, with all the different spaces that you now have? Yeah, absolutely. And we were really aware of that, that there's, you know, kind of almost one of the pain points of being the most, you know, famous studio in the world is people assume that you have to be at the pinnacle of your career to come to Abbey Road and you have to have, you know, slush funds of cash to get in here but absolutely it's not the case it's why we built you know the the studio that we're in now and another studio called the front room which is you know whatever your budget you have an opportunity to come here um and you know yes you may be in a smaller space but you know there's a treasure trove of equipment of microphones amazing engineers that can kind of make that experience really rich you talked before about um, you know seeing famous people is there anybody you can remember just that you blanked or thought or you didn't realize until afterwards who it was can you did ever have um, no i haven't i haven't blanked anyone but i've had a really embarrassing moment where i was uh, I used to cycle home from here and I came out of the bathroom in my full Lycra, you know, and uh, high vis with my helmet on into a group of people who were walking down the corridor and they were all giving me very strange looks. I was like, OK, get over it. I'm in my high vis. And we walked out and the paparazzi started going and I was just a row behind Ed Sheeran, but I hadn't in my whole, like, gotta get home, high-vis thing, I hadn't realised where I was standing. So that was a bit odd, but hopefully Ed didn't (laughs) notice me messing everything up. Well, Isabel, it's fantastic to talk to you um, and to hear about all these amazing things that are going on. I mean, uh, you know, just wish you the very best of luck with whatever comes next. Thank you so much. Abbey Road Studios enjoying 90 years in operation. If you enjoyed this, then why not check out our other episodes on Virgin Atlantic Vera.